Good morning. Would you please stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. Let us worship God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Let us worship God as Christ's ambassadors. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be together this morning. And Father, we need to hear from you. We ask that you would open our hearts and let us hear what you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. It is great to see you as we gather for worship today. Those of you here in the church and those of you joining us on streaming, glad to have you with us in worship today. Let's take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. to uh, remind you uh, that are in the bulletin. Uh, One Easter morning, we will continue our practice of baptism at the early service. If you're interested in being baptized, uh, let me know in the next week or so. We'll have a a class uh, prior to that. And also a reminder, next Sunday or next weekend, we turn our clocks ahead. So we lose an hour of sleep next weekend. I just want to remind you uh, of that and... uh, So that I guess you would be late if you didn't do that uh, next Sunday. Our first scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 26, verses 30 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood, overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps, and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant law in the most holy place. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, would you please stand for the doxology? Father, we are grateful for your many, many blessings to us. And we're thankful also for this opportunity to give back a portion of what you've given to us. May you use these gifts to further your work in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Our God calls us to him just as we are and invites us to to bring to him our lives and everything about our lives with the freedom to be honest with God. So let me invite you to join in the prayer of confession as we corporately together express our honesty to God. Let us pray. Powerful and forgiving Lord, by enduring the pain of the cross, you have shown us the price love must pay for taking sin seriously. The nails, the crown, the humiliation, mockery, and shame you went through delivered us from the stronghold of sin and enabled us to live in the freedom only you can give. Unfortunately, in our contentment, we forsake the transforming work of the cross. In our disobedience, we reject the redeeming and forgiving power of the cross. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we do not take our sin as seriously as you do. For what it costs us daily is nothing in comparison to what you have already paid. Help us to reflect on the mercies of your cross. And as we do, give us the strength and grace to take up our own and to follow. In confessing our sins, let us hear your words of assurance. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. Father, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of the cross that is ours through Christ. We find it difficult at times to express the depths of our gratitude to you. But we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you have, you have called us to not only bring to you our, our sins and, and, and our iniquities, but also our burdens, our struggles. We pray today for our nation and our world. We pray for refugees around the world who are seeking security and home. We pray that you will make it possible for refugees to return to their homes, to find places of security and hope. We pray, Father, for places of war and violence where this is just life. Bring peace that you alone can bring. We pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders of our nation that, that you would help them to make decisions that are, that are just and righteous as they care for justice and righteousness. We pray for all around the world and our own nation who are still recovering or recently even encountering tragedies and disasters. And pray that you will bring healing and restoration. We think of your church around the world. Your blessing rests upon Chris and Melissa George as they, as they serve you in Perth, Australia. Heal Melissa. She recovers from recent surgery. And give Chris strength for the task before him. Bring more people to help them as they seek to, to introduce their community to Jesus. Pray for our brothers and sisters who live as secret followers of Jesus because of persecution and threats. 
Give them courage. Give them strength and wisdom to know when to speak about you and when to not. Let their lives reflect you in them. That might encourage others to know about you. We pray, Father, for for your church closer to home. And we pray for the Belfast First Baptist Church and Pastor Franklin. May your grace be upon this congregation of believers. Unite them in your love. and Give them grace to share your love with others. Lord, for our own needs that we bring today. We pray for those who are grieving. Especially for Skip Lord and his family at the death of his mother this week. May your comforting presence be upon them and all who grieve. We pray for those who are struggling with health issues, illness, disease, injuries. We pray for Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Chuck Barrett, and Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Dorsa Sepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Beverett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds and our hearts today. We pray for our families, whatever our family unit looks like. We pray that you will bring your spirit and your presence to bear in our families and our homes. We pray for our children and our youth. Give us grace as a church to nurture our children and youth in the faith, to know you. Give us grace, Lord, to to present a clear picture of who you are. We pray that, that they would be so enamored with you that throughout all of their lives, as they grow and mature, their hearts would be turned to you continually. Let them see that kind of life in us. We pray for our relationships. Restore what's broken and enhance what is good. For our finances and the needs that we have as individuals, as a church. We pray, Father, that that you will help us to trust you as the one who supplies all of our needs. Make us people who are generous because you are so generous. We think about future plans, anxiety, uncertainty. Give us wisdom and clarity and the ability to trust you as we take one step after another. Father, give us hearts that are open to you. Give us love for each other. Give us grace to serve you and to serve one another. Father, open our eyes to your daily grace. We ask this through Christ, who in grace goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people, and who teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our second scripture reading this morning is found in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, 33 to 41. In keeping with the tradition of the church, if you're able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, children uh, may be dismissed for Children's Church. Please be seated. That song, The Power of the Cross, tends to make me emotional. It's partly because I I have such a It invokes in me such a strong sense of gratitude to God. For what God has done for for us, for me, on the cross. But there is also a sense of, of the reality of the connection of the cross and my sin. And that sometimes is overwhelming. 
the more I ponder the cross, the more I think about the, the themes of this Lenten season, the more I believe that, that I'm not sure we really grasp the destructive power of sin. I know sometimes I don't. We see the destructive power of sin in, in places like Columbine or Auschwitz, South Sudan, the Sierra Leonean Civil War, our own Civil War. We see it in Montgomery in 1963. We see it in Parkland, Florida in 2018. We get that. We see that. It's obvious to us. But I think it's less obvious the destructive nature of sin in our own lives. What sin does to our relationships. We recognize it after we've done the damage. We recognize it after we've left the carnage. But in the middle of it... Something in us is convinced that it's just not that bad. And I think that's because what we really don't see is not so much the effects of sin on our relationships and even on ourselves. What we miss at the heart of it is that we miss the damage that sin does to our relationship with God. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the place where, where the, our first ancestors live, there is, there is harmony with God. There is intimacy with God. There is unity with God. And then sin enters the picture. And what was, what was intimacy now becomes distance. What was dependence now becomes independence. What was knowledge now becomes ignorance. What was fellowship now becomes disconnectedness. What was trust now becomes suspicion. And from the moment that that Adam and Eve chose sin, instead of a life of trusting God, they became suspicious of God. I mean, that was the temptation, really. God isn't who he says he is. God doesn't do what he says he's going to do. Your life is better without him. And we have been making those decisions ever since. I'm not sure that there is any more visible symbol of that separation and the the damage that sin has created between us and God, any more vivid symbol of that than the Old Testament temple. 
The temple is a place that is constructed for the very purpose of separation. There are, there are numerous courts in the temple. And, and every court has, has a barrier, a wall, to certain people. The outer court is the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as Gentile believers, Gentile followers of God can go. The next court is for Jewish women, and that's as far as they can go. And the next court is for Jewish men, and that's as far as they can go. And the next court is where the priests go. And then there is one final space, one final room. It's smaller than all the rest. It is the place that that Scripture calls the most holy place. We read about it in Exodus 26. You may have been wondering, why did we read that passage about putting up the curtains? Here it is. Exodus 26. Across the inside of the tabernacle, God says, hang a special curtain made of fine linen with cherubim skillfully embroidered into the cloth using blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Hang this inner curtain on gold hooks, set it into four posts made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. The posts will fit into silver bases. And when the inner curtain is in place, put the Ark of the Covenant behind it. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the ark of the covenant, inside the most holy place. There is this curtain that is here in front of this. And there are restrictions. There are barriers. this, This curtain is all about the separation of God who is holy and human beings who are not. And as Leviticus tells us, There's only one person who can enter that most holy space and only do it once a year. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. The penalty for intrusion is death. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud over the atonement cover. One day of the year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, The high priest and the high priest alone could enter that space. If the high priest tried to go into that space any other day of the year, death. If anybody else tries to enter that space on any day of the year, death. This curtain is a wall of separation. And it's it's made a curtain may only be a few inches wide, but it might as well be a few miles wide. It separates because that's what sin does. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And that's what fascinates me in the gospel account of the death of Jesus. That all three synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say that when Jesus dies, when he takes his last breath, something happens to that curtain. I have in my mind this vision of of the shadow of the cross falling on that curtain and striking it at the top of the curtain and it rips all the way down the center. It is interesting that both Matthew and Mark tell us that the curtain rips from top to bottom. Now that may not seem like much. When I envision the curtain, you know, I'm thinking like a shower curtain. You know, I'm thinking one of those curtains that you have in the dressing room in a store. This is something different. 
Historian Josephus tells us that curtain is 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. And it's made of sort of this brocaded type material that is created by weaving together 12 strands of thread tightly woven together. And that becomes the material out of which they make this curtain. It is tall, it's wide, it's heavy, it's thick. And there, at the death of Jesus, this curtain rips from top to bottom. I don't know if anybody was in, any priests were working in the temple when this happened, but it must have been a frightening thing to see. And that torn curtain, that torn curtain is a, is a call to us It is a word to us about what God wants to do about the separation between us and him. That in Jesus on the cross, God wants closeness with us. He wants to take that separation and bring us together. And he opens up this way. It's about accessibility to God. It's about the intimacy that God wants to have with us. That same intimacy that Adam and Eve had in the garden. That same intimacy that we will have in the, in the end of Revelation, in the new heaven and the new earth. But God wants us to experience something of that intimacy now too. And since none of us could do anything about the separation, God does. And what God does is, he, is Jesus goes to a cross. And when he says it's finished, it's done. We now have not just intimacy and closeness with God, but we have access to God in a way that we did not have before. Before the curtain is torn, one person, one man, one day a year. Now, all people, any day of the year. Everyone has access to God. There there is complete and total access to our creator, God. And it is the beginning of the restoration of all that God has created that we read about throughout Scripture. I suspect that there is something in us, in our human nature, that might think, I mean, it's great that we have access to God, but everyone? I mean, we have a tendency to to assign value and worth to ourselves and significance by the fact that we have something other people don't have. I mean, that's how we gain a sense of value. I have value because I can do something that someone else can't do. I have experiences that somebody else doesn't have. I, I have. I have connections that someone else doesn't have. And, and when we feel that and when we sense that, it makes us feel a little bit more valuable, a little bit more significant. What we're really saying is I can only feel that kind of value and significance if I can do something someone else can't. And I suspect there is something, even in the back of our minds, maybe subconscious, that's thinking, but Lord, everybody access? 
Because God says when the curtain is torn, that means everyone is special. We have a tendency to say if everyone's special, no one's special. Right? And so what do we do? We do what I suspect the Jews did. I don't know this. I couldn't find anywhere uh, any evidence of this. But I would suspect that for the next 30 years, while the temp- before the temple was destroyed, between the time the curtain tore and the time that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, for those 30 years, they either mended that curtain or they put up another one. And I think we have a tendency to do the same thing. We're always, the church is always putting up curtains. This person, these people are not really the kind of people that should have access to God. You can't think that way and have access to God. You can't do these things and have access to God. You can't live that way and have access to God. You can't believe this and have access to God. There have to be barriers. And so, since God won't put them up, we will. I have a friend who says the history of the church could could probably be summarized in a continual struggle to decide who's in and who's out. And I suspect that's true. Look at the history of the church. It is continually a battle, a fight, a struggle to see... I'm in, you're not. And of course, the people who decide who's in and who's out are always the people who believe they're in. Right? Isn't that the way it works? And we are continually putting up barriers to people when the reality is the call of the gospel is to do exactly what God does, and that's to remove the barriers, to break down the walls, to be people who build bridges. That's the call of the gospel. I mean, if nothing else, we should be inspired by that, by the fact that God does that with us. And what we forget is that when we put up barriers and curtains for other people, it backfires. Because all of a sudden, we begin to think and see barriers and curtains between us and God. You can't help it. And the barriers we put up about other people become the same barriers that block us. But this isn't just about access to God. I think there is a sense in which the the rending of the curtain and opening that is also about God having access to us. If you think about it for a moment, it is not as if now that the curtain is open, all of our commonness infiltrates into this holy space and dilutes it. It is rather that all that is of this holy space pours out into our commonness to make it holy. It is because God now has access to us in a sense that now There really is no such thing as common and sacred. God is at work in everything, making everything sacred. And that means that every moment of our life is sacred. Everything we do has the potential to be sacred. 
Every relationship we should think about as being sacred. Every bit of our work we should think about as being sacred. We tend to think that there is this division. We could put it, one of the curtains we put up is, okay, I have my time with God, and then I go live the rest of my life. And the gospel says, no, you have this time with God, and God goes with you. I have my spiritual discussions, and then I have all my other discussions. And the gospel says, no, you have your spiritual discussions, and those spiritual discussions infiltrate all of your other discussions. I have my church work, and then I have all of my other work. The gospel says, no, you have your church work that goes with you when you go into your other work. Because the point of the tearing of the curtain and the point of the cross, the ultimate end of that is not just the forgiveness of our sins, as important as that is. It is not just to live in eternity with God as awesome as that is. It is so much more than that. It is about God making us holy as he is holy. It is about the holiness of God infiltrating us and transforming us and every part of who we are to make us holy as he is holy. I think sometimes we have a sense that that God forgiving our sins is the end of it. That's the beginning of it. That's the start of it. Because God's purposes are so much more than that. God wants to shape us into the image of Christ. God wants his spirit to fill us so that we begin to look like Christ and think like Christ and act like Christ and speak like Christ and hear like Christ. We become people who reflect the nature of Christ because God has filled us. And so what what do people see? They see the fruit of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what it means to be holy. They see in us a commitment. They see in us a desire, a yearning. To follow the two great commandments that Jesus says. To love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And they see that not just in us as individuals. But corporately too. We become not just forgiven people. We become completely different people. Transformed people. That's the the call of the gospel. That's the cross. That has always been God's intent. You look back at the Old Testament. What did God say to Israel? I'm going to make you a holy nation. That's my intent for you. Peter makes that same statement in his first letter. It struck me just this week that this barrier between the most holy place and everything else, that barrier is not a wall, it's a curtain. Walls are permanent, curtains are temporary. 
And I think that's a part of God's design because even though there was a barrier, his plan from the very beginning was for the curtain to eventually come down. Because God wants closeness with us. Because God wants intimacy with us. Because God wants this mutual accessibility with us. And because God wants to make us holy like himself. We often think of holiness as rules, strictness, rigidness. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's just us putting up, putting up curtains again. True holiness is the freedom to live in the Spirit. True holiness is the freedom to be so open to God that what He wants is what we want. It's not confinement. It's freedom in Christ. Because Christ is at the center of everything. Ever since I was a little boy, I've loved doing puzzles. My parents tell me that, you know, when I was little, they'd put a bunch of puzzles in front of me, and it would occupy me for hours. I I always have loved doing puzzles. I've got shelves of puzzles in our basement, and every year for my birthday or Christmas, I usually get a puzzle, maybe more than one puzzle. And I love them. And and even though I can become obsessive-compulsive about puzzles, you know, that moment it's getting to be midnight, and I'm just one more piece, just one more piece. Uh, If you do puzzles, you know what I'm talking about. Even though I can become like that, it's actually very relaxing to me. It, it, it's just sort of, you know, my mind works in different ways than it might normally. And I love doing puzzles. And of course, when you do a puzzle, the first thing out of the box is to start separating the pieces. And what are you looking for first? You're looking for the border. You always start with the border. You have to have some frame of reference. And the border is the frame of reference. And so you're looking for all the edge pieces. All those pieces have flat edges on them. And you're getting them all out. And the first thing you do is you put the border together. And then you start working your way in. What intrigued me, what caught my attention, because I love puzzles. I I, I was reading something the other day and it said, Have you ever seen anybody start a puzzle from the inside and work their way out? I'm thinking, I've never done that. I don't know of anybody who ever done that. It's just not the way you do a puzzle. You have to set some boundaries first. You have to get get the the edges in place first. And this person said, nobody starts a puzzle in the center except God. God starts puzzles in the center. Because in the center of God's puzzle is Christ. Christ. And the kingdom of God is not about boundaries. It's not about borders. It's not about confinement. It's about Jesus. And when Jesus comes to the cross, and Jesus becomes the center and makes this way accessible for us, it is about Jesus at the center of everything, including us. And when Jesus is at the center then there's no longer these there's no longer confinement there's freedom freedom to go however he wants to go how far how long how deep how wide it's up to Jesus 
And while we are sitting back thinking about our lives as confinement and borders, the whole time Jesus is trying to convince us to trust him to find freedom. And the tearing of this curtain through the cross is God's call to freedom in Christ. And when we come to this table, this is a table of of remembering our sins. This is a table of, of acknowledging what God has done for us. But this is also a table in which we come saying, I want to be open to you. I want to know freedom in Christ through his grace. And as we prepare our hearts to come, let that be our prayer. Father, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for that the curtain is torn. Thank you that you have given us You brought us close to you. And thank you that you want to do more for us than we could ever dream or imagine. We come today in openness to you through the grace of Christ. We pray your blessing would rest upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, we would do so to your glory. We pray that you would feed our souls with your gracious holiness through Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you are released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rails always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time you've worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire for His grace to be at work in you, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.